faith. Faith, what is, what is it? What is faith? What does it mean to live by faith? It's a pretty plastic word, gets used in all kinds of different ways, but we use it as Christians. What do you think it looks like to live by faith? What is it that comes to mind as you think of someone who lives by faith? Maybe imagine some kind of um, supercharged Christian, a kind of Ned Flanders type character. Maybe that is living by faith. And maybe you think of um, a missionary. We've heard about missionaries this morning. Maybe that's your idea. Or a monastery. Uh, people who separate themselves and do things that look a little bit strange. What is it that comes to mind? Now, in this week ahead, what does it look like to live by faith in October 2021? In the, the kind of, I guess, the ordinary and unremarkable moments of our lives. What is it? And, and as we think about that, as different things perhaps come to mind, uh, I wonder how much the ideas we have about faith land on the object of our faith. How quick do we think about who is being trusted? Uh, we're coming to look at the life of Abraham. That's what we're going to be doing on Sunday mornings for the last, ne- next bit of time. And the New Testament tells us that he is the man of faith. He is the biblical example of what it means to live by faith. And as we look at Abraham, the more we look at Abraham, I think the less we're going to see of him and the more we're going to see of the Lord, who is the beginning and the end and the all of that faith. We're going to see the object of his faith, not not the one who is trusting so much, but the one who is being trusted. Uh, Last week, um, we raced through Genesis 1 to 11 Um, This week we're going to slow down as we come to the beginning of Genesis 12 and look at the beginning of the account of Abram. As we're introduced to this key character uh, in the whole of the Bible, not just Genesis, and we're going to see that uh, one of the basic workings of faith is self-denial. And so we're going to look at how denial is defined and how it is applied now, the end of chapter 11 gives us some of the background to Abraham's story. We'll look at that a bit more in a moment. And But Genesis 12, if you've got a Bible, look at how it begins. It has this astonishing moment of revelation when the Lord speaks to Abraham. And his message, the Lord's message, is a command that he leaves everything. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household. He says, leave it all behind. Separate yourself from everything you've known. The life that you have had so far is to be the life you are to have no more. Abraham is commanded to deny himself. Why? Well, let's look. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is a a command promise. Uh, Abraham is told to go, and then the Lord reveals the purpose of his going. The purpose is that God is going to make Abraham the object of God's blessing. I, says God, will bless you, Abraham. That is always where faith begins. Now, if you have faith this morning, it's where it began for you. It begins with what the Lord does, his initiative. God speaks a promise. God bursts into Abraham's life with this command promise. Why is Abraham to deny himself? It's because of the promise. So we ought to ask, what is the promise? 
Uh, last week we mentioned how there is um, an eruption, a, a breaking in of blessing at this point in, in the story of the Bible. Uh, in creation, God made the world a blessing. And when he completed creating, he sat on his throne in order to rule and under his reign flowed abundant blessing. Well now, as we come to this eruption of that same blessing to Abram, there is a promise that paradise will be restored. Look at what happens. The Lord promises land. This is deep grace. Back in paradise, um, in paradise, people had a a place that was designed for their flourishing, a place where the life of blessing was to be lived. After the fall, people were removed from that place. They were driven away from place. And as you track the generations forward, you see the, the kind of mode of humanity is perpetual wandering, unsettledness. And then now, in Abraham, the Lord interjects with this promise of a place. There'll be a place. And then there'll be a name. The Lord says, I will make your name great. That's a royal promise. It's how kings are described, those of great name. Back in Eden, Adam and Eve were royalty. Under God, they were to image him as they governed over creation, cultivating it, caring for it, spreading the blessing of the Lord's rule right to the ends of the earth. But they lost it. They were removed from their thrones. But now, Abram is promised a restoration of humanity's position in creation. And then as people. The Lord says, I will make you into a great nation. Uh, when this happens, the original mission is put back on track. Adam and Eve in, in Eden, they were commanded, told, blessed, and told to go and multiply and fill the earth. The earth was to be full of those created in the image of God, but the mission fell flat in the fall. And now Abram is promised a restoration. It's a restoration of position, of place, and of purpose. And it's all grace. The, the, the result of all of it comes at the end of verse 2. It says, and you will be a blessing. And, and here the, 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 the kind of grammar of what's going on here is pointing towards a certain result. The, the sure and certain result of the Lord blessing Abram is that he will be a blessing. Surely he will be a blessing. How will he be a blessing? Well, Verse 3 says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And we ought to have Genesis 3 to 11 ringing in our ears at this point. Who are these peoples who will be blessed? Well, we've heard about them already, these clans, these groupings that have polluted the world with their rejection of God. How is God going to deal with these peoples? He says to Abraham, all peoples, all peoples. He extends grace of blessing to all of them. And this blessing means being gathered under the creator's care. Again, in creation, all all life and goodness flows from the reign of God. Blessing is to be soaked in that stream of divine goodness. But that blessing was forfeited by people, by all people, because of sin. We, 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 as it were, kind of climbed out of the river of blessing. But then comes this command promise that all peoples will find a way back to blessing. How so? How will they get back? It's all here in the promise. This command promise, it contains both the, the kind of the, the basis, the substantial basis for how people who are outside can come inside. And it also includes the, the way that people outside can do it, the means of getting back. See, see, the Lord promises all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Again, back at the fall. Uh, the fall, God promised that one day someone will be born of a woman who would crush the head of the snake. 
an embryonic hope that an embryonic hope that takes a huge leap forward with this blessing to Abraham. The serpent crusher will come through the family line of Abraham. So hard to keep these promises on the page. It's like a dog straining at a leash, racing to get ahead. And these promises race and they build. And, and as they go through scripture, they build and build and build until they land in the fullness of time. When into the family of Abraham, born to the Virgin Mary, comes the Christ. And with the Christ came the, the moment of cosmic reckoning. All the sin that separated all people from creation's blessing. That was the sin he shouldered. We've remembered it here at the table already, haven't we? By his blood and by his death, he answered for the punishment that has kept people locked out of eternal paradise. The restoration of blessing is a restoration earned and deserved and achieved. And it is one in completion only in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Everything lost in the fall. All that was lost in the fall and so much more is won back and restored in Christ. And so through Abraham's family line into which was born the Christ, all peoples on earth will be blessed. That's the substantial basis for this blessing. That's how blessing can be restored. But, but how do people get it? How do people access it? How do they take hold of what has been given? Now, Abraham will certainly be a blessing. Because through his family will come the Christ. But the Lord also says in the blessing, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Stands in parallel, doesn't it? The blessings and the curses. The, the curses, let's think about those. Uh, there are two different words for curse used here. Uh, the, the first one means uh, to make light of something. It's a word which, which would be used to kind of label someone as cursed. It's, it's what would happen if you look at someone's life and you think, that's rubbish, I don't want anything to do with it. I think that's worthless. The second word for curse means to actually remove someone from blessing. That's what God does when he removes protection and favour. So see, when, when God says to Abraham, whoever curses you I will curse, what it means is that whoever looks at this man Abraham, this man of faith, who's blessed by the Lord, who sees that blessing and says, nah, that's rubbish. I don't want any of that. Don't want that for myself. God says, fine. Then you will have what you want. If you don't want life under the protection and the care of the creator, God says, I will remove you from that life. The parallel, though, the Lord says, I will bless those who bless you. You see, those who look at this man, Abraham, and say, oh, to be under the blessing and the care of the Lord, that is best. God says, I will secure those people under my blessing. They will be blessed. This is how all people on earth will be blessed, when they trust that God is better than anything else, that he is most good and seek to be under his care. You see, the New Testament comments on this verse that we're looking at. In the book of Galatians. It says scripture. This scripture we're looking at. Foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And announce the gospel. The good news in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith. Are blessed along with Abraham. The man of faith. See those who rely on faith. Those who bless Abraham. The Lord says I will bless you. They're blessed like Abraham. Why was Abraham commanded to deny himself? Because of the promise. 
This great promise of creation's blessings restored. Promises of grace to the undeserving. Promises which are now open to all who will believe they're received by faith so that peoples, all the peoples will glorify God for his mercy. Promises which are realised only and fully in Jesus Christ. And as we hear the blessings, we have to ask, who is this God who would promise so much? And we answer, this is the Lord of heaven, mighty and merciful. He is the one Abraham is called to trust. The great goodness of this God is to be the object of his faith. This is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's a great salvation, which is why Abraham was commanded to deny himself. That's the denial defined. Now, what is the denial? What, what, what does it mean for Abraham to deny? We'll wind back a little bit. Come back to the end of chapter 11, this background we get. Abraham's father, Terah. It sounds a bit like the word for moon. And the names Sarai and Milcah are associated with moon worship. It's a bit like today, if you meet someone and you learn about their family, and they say, oh yeah, my sons are called Lennon and McCartney and Ringo. You might think, well, that's just a strange coincidence, or this person's obsessed with something. Now, what does it tell us about this family? These are names which are associated with moon worship. In Genesis 31, we find Terah's family still living in Haran. And we find his granddaughter, Rachel, is stealing the family idols. Because that's how they live. They worship idols. Joshua 24 confirms it. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river Euphrates and worshipped other gods. That's Abraham's life. That's his background. That's where he lives. Settling with his family in this place called Haran. It's their place. And, and in that place, then, then culturally, his existence and his identity is bound up with his family. His family is his past and his present and his future. His security rests on being in that family. And their perspective on life, what, what they thought they needed to get on and to survive, they need to manipulate this volatile world of moon worship. Now, all of that really to say is that Abram was just like everyone else. Uh, the places where he lived, they were quite developed civilizations. He was a man among men, a man of his time. And yeah, we also get these clues that there's something about Abram's life that was a little bit haunted, unsettled. There were these indications that, that the way of living that he had wasn't watertight. The first thing is that Abraham's brother dies early. And Abraham's own wife uh, is childless. She can't have children. Now in the idol-worshipping world, these kinds of events would suggest something is wrong. Abraham somehow is out of favour. But the ancient world had no solution for that. There would also be this, this kind of haunting from the past. Stories about their origins and their ancestors that didn't quite fit with how they were living. Look at verse 31 of chapter 11. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. Why does his family make this journey to Canaan? When we wind back through history, we go back many, many, many generations for them, back to Genesis 9, when Noah prophesied about his sons. He said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. The blessings are going to come in the line of Shem, he said. 
May Canaan be the slave of Shem. The blessings traced through Shem's family line. Terror in that family line is a descendant of Shem. And perhaps for this family, when tragedy hits them, they, they start to reassess where their roots are. They, they, they drove, they're driven to this land of Canaan to seek blessings. So they set out for Canaan, but they don't get there. They go into Canaan, but they stop short. They stop in Haran. To confuse it a little bit more, the New Testament suggests that Abram's call actually happened before they got in Haran. So that's why Genesis 12 verse 1 says, The Lord had said, it was back in Ur, back in the beginnings, before Haran that all this happened. Well, that's Abram's background. And he's called away from it. The life is called away from, go from your country, your people, and your father's household. He's to turn from, from his identity, his security, his protection, his inheritance. And of course, all these things God is promising to replace. Go from your country, he says, I'll give you a land. Go from your people, I'll make you a great nation. Go from your father's household, and I will be your father and bless you. But at the heart of it, there is a fundamental shift Abraham is to leave what he knows to trust a promise of what he does not know. He's called to deny himself by turning from the things of the world and turning to the word of God. See, when this command promise collides with the life of Abraham, it, it, it brings out this faith crisis. If he's going to trust the promise, he must shift his security. Faith includes turning from the things of the world to the word of God. Denial is needed. Our world, of course, is quite different to that of Terah and Abram. No, back in that world, you were your place. The place where you lived defined you. You were your family. The security in the world was defined by your family. And you were your inheritance. Your future was secured by sticking with the traditions that were passed on. There's maybe some of that still in our world today. We might say, you are your duties your place in the world is defined by these responsibilities around you. Although I think maybe more so, our world might say, you are your desires. Uh, I read a blog this week which suggests that this is the soundtrack of our age. These things, see how familiar they are. Follow your heart. Be true to yourself. Find yourself. Love yourself. Express yourself. Believe in yourself. So familiar, isn't it? We hear these things all the time. But isn't all of this haunted by its fragility? Now, how sustainable is this? The blog went on to say this, which resonated somewhat. It said, this is an exhausting way to live. I don't have the wisdom to define my destiny, nor the fortitude to fill it without making a royal wreck of my life and inflicting untold pain on those I love most. I am underqualified to explore my heart and steer my life. I can barely reply to emails. Jesus speaks differently to the world. The world says, love yourself. Jesus says, no, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. The world says, believe in yourself. Jesus says, no, believe in me. The world says, follow your heart. Jesus says, no, follow me. The world says, discover yourself. Jesus says, no. Deny yourself. Jesus' call to faith is a call to follow him. 
It's a call to deny ourselves. It's a call that meets us this morning. Now, the call of Jesus is the end point of Abraham's call. It's a command to put all our hope in the word of God. And so we must ask ourselves, now is, is this promise big enough for you? Now, I wonder what you tell yourself when, when the question of denial presses in and you're not quite sure if it's worth it. What do you say to yourself? At the end of the 19th century, there was a chap called Charles. Had everything. He was an international sports star. Um, he was academically brilliant, had a very promising career ahead. And he was absolutely loaded. A very, very rich man. And he gave, literally gave everything away to go to China and tell people about Jesus. And people said he was crazy. So he explained his thinking. He, he, he said, in effect, the promise in Christ was too big for him to hold on to anything else as more important. He said... If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, there is no sacrifice that can be too great for me to make for him. It's denial defined, isn't it? Letting go of what you cannot keep to have what you cannot lose. But then what? What happens after the, the, the faith moment of crisis? What happens next after the great promises? Now, what does a life of faith look like as it's lived out? What, what do we expect it to be like? Now, I once asked a friend why he wasn't a Christian. Now, we'd grown up in the church together. We'd been through kind of youth things as teenagers together, and then he, he, he'd not followed on. I asked, well, why are you not a Christian? He said, well, there was this time when I went to a Christian camp. And at the camp, the speaker said to me something like, if you become a Christian, your life will become a great adventure. Everything will be different for you. My friend said, I wanted that. So I became a Christian. And then I went home. And nothing was, nothing was changed. It was all just the same. Abraham is called to radically transform the whole of his existence. This moment when he is powerfully confronted with the word of God and he goes for it and he steps out into the life of faith. What does it look like for him? Denial applied. Look at verse 4. What does the life of faith look like? Verse 4. So Abraham went, they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. 500 miles it is on foot. The life of faith for Abram looked like a very long walk. And then what? Verse 6. Abram travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time the Canaanites were in the land and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued towards the Negev. It's not very dramatic, is it? He travels about, goes from place to place. He builds altars so he can give thanks and praise and affirm his trust in the Lord. He hears God's promises again and he calls on the name of the Lord. Abraham worships. Very ordinary worship. He praises, he listens, he prays. Is that it? No, there's one more thing he's doing. Abraham also waits. Now the Lord has promised this is the place, but it's not yet. 
It says, to your offspring, I will give this land. And so what's Abraham doing? Well, the New Testament tells us. It says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go, obeyed and went. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Abraham knew that in the promise there was more. Trusted that the promise of blessing would be as great as creation itself. And he trusted the promise. He was longing for a better country. So Hebrews goes on and says, They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Abraham lives by faith. And what that means for him is worshipping and waiting. Worshipping and waiting. Our world hates that. Our world says, no, you must be happy now. Jesus says, no, deny that. Deny yourself. And so we live by faith. We exchange what is known for the unknown. We prize what is promised above what is seen. And what does it mean to live by faith? What does it mean for you to live by faith? And God promises Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. What do you do with that this morning? No, it asks us to answer, to make an assessment of what we see in this blessing to Abram. What do you make of it? Do we consider Abram as blessed? Or do we hear the promises that the Lord of creation will gather Abram under his protection? Do, do we hear that this promise is full and eternal because it will be won through the one who's born in Abram's family, the Lord Jesus Christ? The one who, who died for our sins, the, the, the sins that hold us out from all eternity and all blessing. Jesus died for them in full. He paid the price in full. So that through him, Abraham will find a place in the eternal city of God. And there he will be washed pure. His guilt and his shame removed. His humanity made immortal. And his bliss imperishable in the presence of God. Do you consider him blessed? That's the question. Or do you not really care? Do you shrug your shoulders and walk away and say, maybe there's something else? The command promise meets us. It's filled to us in the Lord Jesus Christ who says, follow me. Believe on me. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and you will have eternal life. So ask yourself in your heart, will you transfer all of your hope onto the word of God? Would you go? Away from other security. Would you go? Away from building your own destiny. Away from searching inside yourself. Away from, from doing it on your own. Now the world might say, you are your duties. It might say, you are your desires. It might say, you must have happiness and safety within yourself and you must have it now. But the gospel says, no, you are your saviours. You belong to Christ and you are held by the promise of immense blessing. So the command says, go. Stand on the word of promise. Stride out into your life, on through your life. It might be a very long walk, but stride out in worship, 
practicing praise and listening to the word of God and prayer, worshipping and waiting. That's the life of faith. As we go through Abraham, we'll see ups and downs and all kinds of things that happen, but that's the basics. Worshipping and waiting. Let these words soak into your soul this morning. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called your God, for he has prepared a city for you. Let's take a moment of quiet, and then we'll pray together. Our God in heaven, please would you deal with us mercifully in these moments. Please would you reveal to our hearts that the promises of blessing in Christ are immeasurably beyond compare to anything else we could even imagine, let alone think is real. Lord, I pray that you would show us how wonderful Jesus is, that we might go and put all of our hope in the word of promise. Please lead as we pray. Please deal with us gently. Lord, we praise you for your great mercy. Thank you that there is grace. Grace for today. Grace for tomorrow. Grace until the end of time. Amen.